From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd at Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except sometimes the author stops by. It is somehow already December of the year 2022, and our book club selection this month is Hernan Diaz's Trust. This is a book best enjoyed with as few preconceived notions as possible. So all I'm going to say is this. Trust is... In many ways, four separate versions of the same story. It is a novel. There's an unfinished memoir. There's a story of a ghostwriter and then a series of journal entries. It's about a wealthy financial trader and his wife during the 1920s and into the Depression. It is about wealth and truth and who gets to tell their stories. Ernan is with us now. Ernan, welcome to Nerdette. Hi, Greta. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So I mentioned this is a book in a book in a book. Uh, It's such a fun structure because there's a lot of puzzling that the reader gets to do, which I found very satisfying. You're not handing anything to anyone on a platter in this book. I'm curious how you came to the structure. That actually happened a little later. Uh, Just to walk you through the whole thing, at at first, it was was a pretty straightforward novel in my mind about about wealth in America and the accumulation of capital. But the the more I I read toward the story, the more I thought thought about it, the more uh, I delved into historical archives, it also dawned on me that this story, more than money itself was around the myths and narratives spun around money and Mm. uh, who has a voice and who is denied one. So instead of merely sort of thematizing the issue of voice, I decided to enact it formally, hence sort of this choral structure that the, that the book has. In a way, this structure allows the reader to to examine the terms and conditions, <laughs> if you if you will, that that yeah, that we scroll through all too quickly each time we read a text. And 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 hopefully this is what happens when you move from one section of the book to the other. You 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 also uh, uh hopefully wonder a little bit about your own position as a reader. Absolutely. Well, and it's just, I don't know, it's so much. So I read this much earlier this year. And to to prepare for actually talking to you, I've been listening to the audiobook, which is just a completely different experience. But it's also such a pleasure because I don't know, I feel like this is the sort of book that you could read three or four times and you're going to pick up different elements and bits of nuance each time. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, I, I, I am not an audiobook person which is i regret because i feel my 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 reading intake would would just you know be off yes, the charts it's I would very be, helpful <laughs> right i would be doing it all the time but my my mind drifts i can't do it like if if, mm. if i lived in a in a culture where literature were exclusively oral i think i'd be a cobbler or something i i you know i can't to me, it lives on it lives on the page. But also, sorry to be such a such a print nerd. Uh, the, the the book it has such a visual dimension. The text itself, uh, the use of blank spaces in the book is so important. And the fourth and final section was conceived as a prose poem uh, in my mind. So obviously, if you think about it as a poem the way in which it looks on the page is all important. And that there was a lot of back and forth around that. The only request for the audiobook was that there be uh, four different uh, voices, right. literally, uh, who, who read the book. And I'm, I'm very pleased they, they, they did. The level of artistry is, is very high. Oh, my God, it's phenomenal. I can say it because I wasn't involved. So, you know, I'm not bragging. <laughs> 
I do think, especially given the nature of the second section of the book, the best way to do it would be to ha- to read the first half and then maybe listen to the second half. I think that would be a really fun way of putting it together. The second half, uh, speaking of the title, Trust, I put a lot of trust on the reader there because it is and it, you know it's a, it's a very grating voice it's uh for those who haven't read the book what what happens is the following if that's okay if i give if i give yes, a little yeah so what happens is in in the first se- the first section is a whole novel in the novel uh right uh with a beginning and end it's a whole self-contained novel within the novel written in a slightly decadent voice <laughs> that sounds a little bit like henry james a little bit like Hen- yes. edith wharton you know yes. and it's 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 very lush prose, but also very disembodied, very detached. There's no dialogue, which is totally intentional. There's one line of dialogue that is one word long. (laughs) There's no emotion. Yeah. Well, and how is it that Ida and she she reads the book later, one of the other characters later in the book, and she describes that as that the the tone in that book occupies occupying the region between feeling and rationality right and reason i think that's yeah. how she puts it yeah feeling and intellect and feeling and yeah exactly and mm-hmm. and uh you know i gave that character a lot of my own reflections about literature i'm not saying that i succeeded in doing that through my uh, uh fictional author in the first section but but it is something that i think is unique to literature as an as an art form uh inhabiting this this liminal region uh, in, mm. in 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 between just pure feeling, and and then also intellect and the realm of ideas, you know. And I I, I love I love getting both as a reading experience. Anyway, reeling all of this back, so the the first novel within the novel is about the wealthiest man potentially in the world and his relationship with his wife, and it's written in this tone that I that I just described very aloof. There are no physical descriptions even. And then uh, we shift gears very abruptly. And in, in section two is narrated, as I was saying, by this very grating voice. Uh, it's mm-hmm. this, it's it's a very man-spreading kind of tone. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yes. you know, I know everything. I can do no wrong. I am yes. virtuous. I come from I, generations of excellence. Uh, yes, yeah. I am blue-blooded in my own way. And my story deserves to be heard and has this great pedagogical value. And I will yes. ram it down your throat. Uh, yes. and, and this is the way, actually, all these memoirs were written. And I believe mm. you, me, I've read a great number of them. <laughs> and uh, so... What I did there, because it was such a, it was so hard for me to write, and I thought, you know, it would be such a chore to read, was I I kind of smashed it against the ground. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me give you a quick example. There is a whole section, a whole chapter that is called Apprenticeship. And instead of having him drone on and on and on and on about how great his Ivy League education was, uh, it's just blank. So it's a, it, the chapter is entirely blank. And that was, to me, such an eloquent way of having this character say that he had nothing to learn, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and also it gave the reader this action of flipping through the pages very quickly and very angrily, mm. uh, you know, and the the pace of of the page turning. I'm very interested in that in the in the physical act of reading. The pace of 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 turning the pages in that section is very very fast, which I thought would be very gratifying given the tenor of the voice. Oh God, I just love so much about this book. I want to get back to the title because I think it's really interesting. 
Um, the New York Times review pointed out that the word trust obviously is both a moral claim and a monetary one. That's right. And the title of the novel inside the book Bonds kind of works in a similar way. Yes. Um, at what point in the process did you know trust was going to be the title? I mean, it's so perfect for what's happening throughout this Oh, book. thank you. I, I would also add the, the fourth and final section of the novel is called Futures, which is a financial mm. instrument as yes, well. True. Yeah. Um, so... Um, I mean, I, I struggle with with titles. I struggle with names. I feel they're very, very important. If if they if they can grab you by the lapels, so to speak, they they're <laughs> very they're very powerful. Um, yeah. So um, I think it was on the elliptical at the gym that trust. <laughs> I'm pretty sure your trusty steed, which is my trusty steed. Oh, which is where I do a lot of I do a lot of writing on the elliptical. I mean, not pen to paper, but but in my head, it's a it's a it's a great moment for me to think about work. And I I do it every morning. Shout out to uh, Brooklyn YMCA. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah, trust. I wanted a title that was doing all these things that you'd mentioned at the same time. In that period, especially, you know, a few years earlier, there had been this all this trust busting, you know, that was something very much mm-hmm. in the vocabulary. And it's something that refers to financial monopolies, uh, which is, of course, uh, something that that concerns the book very much. But also mm-hmm. also confidence, uh, uh, you know, uh, generational wealth, too. Yeah, exactly. That that, too. And also, again, the, 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 the confidence that we as as readers put on the texts that that we read, that to me was of paramount importance. So one thing I'd love to unpack with you a little more, just because I think it's a fascinating conceit is the idea of giving time and space to something that you sort of know is insufferable. I'm thinking about that second section. I think this mm. is something that 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 artists try to do a lot, I think, especially these days in sort of visiting, you know, characters or places or framings that are unpleasant or that we, you know, now with the knowledge that we have know is awful or despicable or at least objectionable. And I, it's really interesting to hear you talk about the idea of wanting to create that atmosphere, but also making sure that you were doing it in a way that readers could sort of pick up on it quickly and speed through it and then move on to something else. Exactly. Yeah. No, that was, that was, that was a major challenge, but, but also, you know, when we talk about money and power, I think if we go, if we're going to talk about it in a novel, in a responsible way, I think we also need to address the rhetoric of, of power, of male Mm. power, which is, which is a very, very specific tone. And I think the world has changed so drastically. You know, we'll see if it sticks, given everything that's happening, sadly. Right. But but it has changed so drastically that it is, it is easy uh, maybe to forget the extent to which these kinds of vo- voices that today we find, we find outrageous were quite literally the norm. Right, yeah. The, these male voices and this this kind of tone. So to me, it, it it was important to 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 explore that in a way that was formally interesting. Secondly, you know about money itself. I think money by money talk uh, uh, by design is is obscure, abstruse, esoteric, and meant for us to 
kind of not bother ourselves with it. I mean, think of any statement, financial statement that you get oh in the mail God. for anything. Sure. I mean, even the layout, you know, it's the, the, it, <laughs> the, no, serious, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the, the, it, these, these are documents that do not want to be read. They, they want to expel the reader from, from their mm. pages. Right. And, and, and I wanted to, to, you know, to to a small extent in in a, in a on a small scale, to reproduce that that kind of ex- reading experience. In just a minute, more with Ernan about trust. So this book takes place 100 years ago. I think to your point, our our tolerance of, you know, especially male power has changed a lot in that time period in a lot of ways that also haven't hasn't. I think especially of when course. it comes to wealth and, you know, whether or not we're questioning that power. Um, it's interesting to think about how in this book 100 years ago, the ultra rich are having a profound impact on the rest of society. Obviously, that is extremely resonant to this moment in time as well. Mm. Um, how much was that something that you realized while researching versus something you already knew just because here we are in, you know, capitalist America? Yeah, yeah. I think we've always been there, but uh, that's yeah. that's the history of our country. And therein might lie the answer to your question. I, you know, I... Mm. I didn't set out to write uh, sort of a didactic novel, you know, right. just to to make a commentary on our current times. Originally, the book was going to take place in contemporary America. Uh, but then mm. I realized, uh, you know, in all honesty, what turned me off from that was that there were going to be a lot of cell phones and computer screens. And that was just my heart sank. Like, I don't want to I don't <laughs> I don't want to do yeah. it. So then I, then I, you know, I thought, you, you know, the, the years of excess of the 1920s followed by the abysmal depression of the thirties are such, uh, such iconic moments in American history. So fossilized and so ossified and the reader comes to them with such a crystallized preconception of what those mo- moments meant. So I thought it would be, interesting to 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 play with those preconceptions and ultimately foil them and, and subvert them right so so mm-hmm. that that was an added thing but to to answer more pointedly to your question i mean as the more i read toward the, toward the book and i did a ton of archival research uh at different libraries and and personal archives mm-hmm. um um the the more I discovered the the parallel between what was going on in the 1920s and what was going on in the 2020s, you know, I'll give you a few very quick items sure. uh, if you're interested. Like, for example, think of the 1924 Immigration Quota Act enacted right. by Calvin Coolidge that restricted immigration from very specific countries and regions, namely Italy and Asia, right? And at the same time, you know, children here were being uh, separated at the border, and and Trump kept talking about certain countries. You know, why why do why do we get immigrants from these certain countries and not the quote unquote right. good countries? Right. Um, uh, 
extensive deregulation of markets in both periods, uh, tax cuts for the wealthy that in the 20s, uh, again, under Coolidge, whom I've come to loathe after all this work, uh, uh, went from uh, 70-something percent to 20-something percent. That's, that's That's a cut, right? Um, yeah. uh, protective tariffs uh, paired with uh, isolationism, paired paradoxically with small state. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. And it's not for nothing that these people call themselves conservatives. You know, it's it's over the last hundred years. And the, the, the playbook has been the same. And, and it's not fortuitous that, you know, the, the present time of the book is the 1980s when one of the characters looks back on this whole uh, story. And I think, I think that's, that's the hinge between the twenties, the 1920s and, and the 2020s is, is uh, the Reagan administrations, the whole mm. trickle down mythology and Milton Friedman and the Chicago school, it all happened there. So, so those are, those are, I think the three and the, and, and, and there was a brief moment, which was the new deal where right. the United States maybe could have become some sort of version of Scandinavia, you know, <laughs> but, but it, you know, it didn't happen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So interesting. Have you read Lauren Groff's book, Fates and Furies? Uh, I have. Lauren and I are are very good friends. It was really interesting comparing that one to this one. I think in a in in the sense of both tone and structure, there are some similar sensibilities to it. Let me just say that right off the bat, I think I think Lauren is a genius, and and that book is just a, a masterpiece. I I it you really know is. it it really really is. But I don't know. I was just so immersed in this other world, and and you yes. know, I also thought part of my part of my process is that when I'm writing fiction, I read all the fiction and history, whatever uh, pertaining or around the, the thing that I'm writing. Oh, I know. Do? Interesting. Yeah. I know a lot of people who really avoid that genre wise when they're writing because they're worried about things seeping in. Exactly. I think, I think that's the, that's sort of the more common stance toward it. Like, yeah. I know I have, I have novelist friends who, while they're writing a novel, they, they don't even read fiction, like, you know, right. poetry want, or, or, yeah. or, or, or nonfiction or whatever, you know, biographies, but they, they don't want anything to to taint or mess with her st- yes. style. I'm I'm the opposite because I'm you know I'm 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 sort of absorbing everything and and I want interesting as as much as I can for that to become my daily reality. You know that I'm that this is where I'm li- I moved to this world. You know that's so cool. So what did you read while you were Edith Wharton? I assume yeah, a lot of Edith Wharton. I read or reread. Uh, a lot of Henry James, who, thank God, is inexhaustible. You know, it's just <laughs> so vast. He's written so much. You know, the the, the fourth section, the, the personal diary that mm. I referred to as a, as a prose poem, you know, I read a lot of high modernism for that because that's kind of the period and the tone that I was going to. So I read a ton of of, of Virginia Woolf, uh, mm. Sy- Sylvia Townsend Warner, uh, Gertrude Stein, mm. Uh, uh, Don Powell, uh, a very different writer from all the people I just mentioned. Um, the list goes on and on and on. And and for the third part, which is sort of very new journalism, like 
Uh, I read and reread uh, most of Joan Didion, whom I worship. You know, Lillian Ross, mm. uh, writers from 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 that period, writing and that, so, which is very different from from me. So I had to learn, teach myself how to how to write that way, and then you know all those biographies by great white men that i that i mentioned huh. starting with benjamin franklin because i thought they would be able to look back and ending with uh herbert hoover so that that's i read every, every single one that i could find and it was a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> well ernan thank you so much this was such a pleasure i really appreciate you and your oh time. thank you for having me over Thanks for listening along. Of course, we also love it when you read along with us as well. We would love to know your thoughts of this book. So read it and then record yourself in your voice memos app and then email that to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. I can't wait for you to hear the discussion of this one coming the last Tuesday of the month. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman, along with Sam Deer, and our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Happy reading, y'all.